Well, good morning. If you are elementary age kid, uh, we encourage you to go down and be a part of the kids' class with Mr. Maycheck. Awesome. Well, my name's Robert, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy House, and glad to be back. I was away for a five-month sabbatical, and so last week was my first week back. And uh, we're going to continue on in Third John. This is part of a series that we're calling Brief. So it's all these little short books that most of us don't know that much about. They're the kind of that we think that kind of throwaway books. Like Third John, really? I mean, is there anything in there that's good? Yes, there's a lot in there that's good. Um, and honestly, I've never preached out of Third John. I'm, I don't think I've ever even led a Bible study out of Third John. So it's been great for me uh, as well to kind of mine some of the gold. Uh, that's in these texts. So hopefully you're finding Third John in your Bibles there on the floor or on your phone, or maybe you brought a Bible. Uh, it's toward the back, toward uh, before Revelation. So if you hit Revelation, you need to go to the left a little bit, and you'll find uh, Third John. So what we learned last week is that Third John is uh, just a short letter written to this man named Gaius, who is a leader in his church, and the, the basic message is encouraging him to sacrifice for the cause of missions. And we said that missions was when the church sends out and supports those that go to a place that has an inadequate and inadequate gospel witness for the purpose of getting the gospel to those people in that region. And so this is a letter encouraging guys to support that kind of work. We've benefited greatly from that kind of work, where people have, have come from other places to serve us and serve our congregation. In fact, we have some folks in our congregation right now uh, from Houston, Texas, Champion Forest Baptist Church. I think this is their fourth time. Am I right? Fourth time. So they love when I do this, but why don't you guys stand up so they can see who you are so they can come over later and say hi. Yeah, we're really glad you're here. So they've done a number of projects uh, for us. One, I think the first one was they totally repainted our, our sanctuary, right? Small job. No, not a small job. And they did it in like four days. It was ridiculous. Um, they, they've done some work on the outside. A lot of these windows that you see like, why is that window amazing and perfect? And why is that window not? It's because they worked on the one that's amazing and perfect uh, when you look outside. Um, they've, they've also, they, last year they, they did like extreme church basement makeover and in one week they created all the little separate rooms downstairs for the kids area. So they have been an incredible blessing to us. And they come to this place because, as I told you last week, we are an unreached people group, right? That we are right about 2% two, uh, of in our population that actually knows the gospel and believes it. And, and so they're coming here to help kind of fan the flame of our ministry and to help us come alongside us so that the gospel can go out. And this is what Third John is about, is encouraging this guy, Gaius, and his church to participate in that kind of work, to, to send out and support missions. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. You can listen to the sermon from last week. Um, and you can find out. I'm not going to go through that. Um, he, he, John could have stopped there, but he doesn't. He names a couple of names. And, and this happens in the New Testament every once in a while. The writers name names. 
Some of those names are cautionary tales of people that are not doing the right thing, and some are, are poster children that we want to follow and we want to emulate, right? And there's one of each. Uh, there's a Diotrephes that we're going to talk about today, who's the, the cautionary tale, and then there's a Demetrius that is the poster child that we want to follow and we want to emulate. So next week will be Demetrius, today is going to be Diotrephes. So what we're going to find, we're going to look at, uh, is what Diotrephes' problem is. I'm going to call it the Diotrephes disease, all right? And then we're going to look at what, how the church should handle a person like Diotrephes. So we're going to call that the cure. So we've got the disease, we've got the cure. And then pro- probably mo- most importantly, we want to talk about how a healthy church uh, actually prevents Diotrephes' disease from even happening. So the Diotrephes' disease, the cure, and prevention. So you just heard uh, Winnie read 3 John 9, 1 through 11. I'm going to read 9 through 11. Again, this is our text for this morning. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. So John is very concerned about diatrophies. He says that he's already written a general letter to the church that mentions diatrophies. Uh, we assume that that's a letter that John wrote that we don't, that we don't have anymore. That we have the, the Gospel of John, we have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we have Revelation. Those, three, those kind of three bodies of work are written by John the Apostle. Uh, but evidently he had some other letters. Of course he did, right? He didn't just write three letters in his whole lifetime. He wrote multiple letters. Uh, and evidently one of those was a general letter, kind of like 1st John, to the church at large, uh, saying diatrephes is a problem. And so he's already called this guy out in public, and now he's writing a letter to the individual Gaius to also make him aware of the diatrephes problem. So what is diatrephes problem, or what is the diatrephes disease? Uh, John gives us a little phrase here that gives us the core problem, right? Who, he likes to put himself first and does not acknowledge our authority. He's evidently a leader, and he's kind of declared himself the ultimate leader in, in the church. And he's using that leadership to lead the church to perhaps believe things, but definitely to do things that are over and against the apostolic authority. Right? So, so John is an apostle. This is why he can say, our authority. He doesn't say my authority, he says our authority. He's talking about the, the authority of the apostles. Apostles that were sanctioned by Jesus to pass on who Jesus is, what he did, and what he will do in the future. And so he is a, a, a Jesus-sanctioned apostle. See, when he says our authority, that's what he's talking about. And he's saying Diotrephes has set himself up as number one in the church and over and against apostolic authority. Now, a couple of verses, a couple of of scriptures that might help understand the whole apostolic authority thing. So Matthew 10, for instance, 
uh, it's describing Jesus' choosing of the apostles. So it says, He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. John, his brother. That's the John that wrote the, the third John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Okay, did you notice any diatrephes in that list? No. Diatrephes is not in the list. He's not in the list of, of the apostles. Notice that it says disciples, and then it says apostles. This is when, when Jesus kind of throws the switch and says, okay, 12 disciples, you are now 12 apostles. Now, John... He's, he throws that apostolic weight around, and well, he should. Uh, if you go back to 1 John, the opening passages, you hear John doing this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So you, so you hear it. You hear him saying, we saw it. We heard Jesus. We, we, we were with Jesus from the beginning, and we're proclaiming that to you. That's what an apostle does. He knows who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, and what he will do in the future. And he knows he's an apostle because Jesus told him that he was an apostle. Multiple places we could go, but here's one. John 15, verses 26, Jesus speaking. But when the Helper comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you, the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Same kind of verbiage, right? From the beginning. This is one of John's favorite lines. He uses that from the beginning, from the beginning, multiple times in his writings. And what he's saying is, we were there from the beginning. We knew Jesus. We saw Jesus. We saw him die. We saw him rise. We saw him ascend. We know, we know Jesus, and we know this message that needs to get passed on. Diatrephes is not one of those. And so he... Diotrephes is setting himself up as first in the church and over and against apostolic authority. Now, you might say, well, I mean, maybe there was a second wave of apostles, right? There was only one in the second wave, and that was the apostle Paul. We hear Paul describing his role as an apostle. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Then he appeared to James, talking about Jesus in resurrected form, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, talking about other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So, Paul is in addition to those 12 Apostles. So 13 human beings in all of human history can claim that they have apostolic authority. And so when Diotrephes says, no, I know better than these 13 apostles, 
uh, he, he is making a grave, grave mistake. And John is calling him out on that. Now, you say, well, the, all those guys are dead, so now what do we do, right? Well, we have the New Testament. The New Testament was given to us through the apostles. The New Testament is, the, the books of the New Testament are written either by an apostle or by those who had access to an apostle. This is one of the tests that was used to decide what went into the Bible and what got thrown out. The test of apostolicity, right? Is it from a, an apostle or is it from someone who had first-hand access to an apostle? That was one of the tests. Not the only test, but one of the tests used to decide what books to keep and what books to throw out. So for us, apostolic authority is not expressed through the pastor. It's not expressed through some church leader. It's expressed through the Scripture, through the New Testament. And so, so for us, it's not over and against some dude somewhere out there. It's over and against the Bible, would be against uh, apostolic authority. And so Diotrephes is doing this, and it's not just hurting him. It's hurting the church. He says that he's talking wicked nonsense against us. So he's spreading this disease. He's, he's telling other people that they should live lives that are over and against the apostolic authority, the truth that's being handed down from them. Um, the Apostle Paul likens this to gangrene in the body of Christ. You actually heard uh, Austin Kopeck preach on this passage in 2 Timothy where he, Paul uses this image. And um, we'll read it again. Paul says, 2 Timothy 2.16, But avoid irreverent babble. So kind of similar to wicked nonsense, right? Uh, For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. Now here Paul's mentioning names in his book as well. So gangrene. Gangrene is this uh, dying of cells that then infects the next cell adjacent to the dying cell, which then caused that cell to then get sick and die, and then the cell adjacent to that cell causes it to be infected, and then it dies, and it, and it just keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. So if you have a little gangrene in your finger, it just keeps moving up, moving up, moving up, moving up, cell to cell to cell to cell to cell. This is not a healthy church, right? And this is, this is what's happening through Diotrephes' uh, disease. This is the opposite of what we would say would be a healthy body of Christ. So what is Diotrephes specifically doing that John is so upset about? Is it that he's teaching wrongly about, you know, the nature of Christ? Is he saying Christ is not fully human or Christ is not fully divine? Or what, what's going on here? As far as we know, his theology is not the problem. We don't know that for sure, but that's not what's being mentioned. What's being mentioned is his practice of theology. Uh, we hear that this is wicked nonsense against us. And then he says, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes is opposing the support of missions. He's not just having a little quiet time in his kitchen and thinking about 
what he believes and that it's over and against the apostles. He's talking about it to others. And then he's going after others and saying, don't you dare support the brothers, which are the, these evangelists that are trying to get the gospel to places that don't have an adequate gospel witness. And so it's not just a problem that he has, it's spreading. And it's spreading inside the church, the body of Christ. Um, why is Diotrephes doing this? Not sure. These evangelists that are coming in from the outside who are spreading uh, the apostolic gospel seem to be a threat to him. When I've seen people oppose missions, it, it, it sometimes is because they don't want to let go of money. Like, we need to keep that money in the church. We're not going to spend that money on missions, right? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's a power thing where... The, the evangelist that is coming in, the missionary that's coming in, seems like a threat to them. Um, just different reasons. So we don't know exactly, but for whatever reason, Diotrephes does not want these evangelists to come through and take time and resources from the church. Um, and again, this is the opposite of healthy church. So healthy church, if you think about it in very simplistic terms, you think, think about these co-centric circles, right? So at the heart of a healthy church is the gospel, a right understanding of the gospel. If that's not there, you, you got nothing. You're not going to have healthy community. You're not going to have healthy mission. You got no hope. But if you get, you get the gospel right, your theology right, you might say, then that can then lead to a healthy community or family because now you're gathering people that believe rightly about the gospel into a gospel community. And then that gospel community, that gospel family, can then participate in mission of getting the gospel to places that don't have an adequate gospel witness. This is what we're saying when we say that Mercy House is a household of faith, right? Family being built. We're, we're on a mission, right, of reaching more people, building up people we have, but not just in our own strength, we're doing that by the mercy of God, the gospel. And so the gospel's at the center. The community then is built on that gospel, and then that community is a community on mission. Um, John is trying to help this church that he's writing to to become a healthy church, and diatrephes is a big part of the problem. So how do we handle diatrephes' disease? Well, we call them out. And if they don't repent, we throw them out. Those, that's how you deal with it. That's the cure. You call them out. And if they don't repent, you throw them out. Uh, you hear this kind of language in 2 John. So John says this in 2 John verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So, He's calling out these people that have gone out of the church and are not believing rightly about Jesus. And again, he's, he's naming names. He's calling them out. Uh, we see the Apostle Paul naming names, calling them out. And that's not, he's not just being, he's not being mean. He's, he's actually being loving. He's giving them an opportunity to repent. If they're believing wrongly, if they're practicing the beliefs of the gospel wrongly, they get an opportunity to realize, I'm doing that wrong, and I can repent and turn toward Christ. He's also protecting the church. When you call them out, then the church knows, oh, that is gangrene, right? 
We need to begin praying for that person. We need to begin lovingly confronting that person. Right? And so he, he's calling them out. But if they're refusing to repent, then they have to be thrown out. Also in 2 John, verse 9, he says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. It's stern language. He's saying, throw these turkeys out. Right? They, they are not willing to repent. We've called them out, and they're continuing to, to, to propagate this false gospel or this false practice of the gospel. It's gangrene. And sometimes when you have gangrene, you have to amputate. You don't want to be the doctor that's like, eh, you know, that infection doesn't look too bad. Let's just throw some antibiotics at that. That's fine. It'll, it'll be fine, right? There comes a time sometimes where the infection is so bad or you, you, you've lost some, some, uh, some, you've had some death of cells because of frostbite, and it's like the only thing that's going to save you, it's, it's certainly not an ideal solution, but sometimes it's the only solution, and it is absolute amputation to save the rest of the body. And so this happens sometimes in the church. Sometimes we might call that church discipline. Where, where, where a person is thrown out of the church. It has not happened very often here. It has happened a few times. And it was to call that person to repentance. It was also for the purpose of protecting the church from the diatrephes disease. Now, you might be thinking, isn't this a little much? I mean, my gosh, he's calling this guy out. It's so public. I mean, why don't he just have like a side conversation with the guy? Uh, those probably think those probably happened, but part of what's happening is that Diotrephes is a leader. He has a platform in the church, and so because he has such a public influence, he has to be disciplined in a public way. Um, we, we, again, we notice that he's, he's not seemingly off in his theology, but in his practice, and that even that is can be the gangrene that is destroying the church. So, so far, that the diatrophies disease is setting yourself up as number one over and against apostolic truth. That the cure is call out and if need be, throw out. Now, what we want to look at at this point is, well, how can we prevent that? We don't want to wait around until we got gangrene, do we? I, no, no one wants that. So is there a way that a church can go about its business in a healthy way that would actually prevent the diatrephes disease? It, actually, there is, thankfully. So couple, three, three different ways that a church uh, prevents diatrephes disease. Number one, acknowledge Scripture as authoritative. Number one, acknowledge Scripture. The apostolic gospel that's been handed to us in the New Testament we, we, we consider this authoritative. We place ourselves under that scripture. Every time you're hearing a Sunday sermon, you're hearing the word preached, and hopefully rightly, right? But it, it, it's like a, a, a clarion call that we're sounding in this church every Sunday is that this Bible is authoritative, right? 
that the reason I can speak with authority is because I'm under this Bible just like you. Right? It's not because I'm the leader and I'm in charge and I'm over the Bible. That's, that's not it. I'm under the Bible. Right? So I've had these interesting conversations with some, some local pastors. And we're talking about you know, hot-button cultural issues, things that are pretty explicit in the Bible but are very unpopular in our culture. And one particular pastor, I was talking to him, and he made some claim that I felt was not biblical. And so I said, yes, but uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. And his answer was, yeah, I have a real problem with the Apostle Paul and his interpretation of the Old Testament. <laughs> and I was like, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing the Bible. You got a problem with the Apostle Paul, you got a problem with the Bible, right? But what he was saying in that moment, he's like, I'm over the Bible, right? Like, I'm over it. Like, I, I am the authority over that Bible, not the Bible is an authority over me. I had a, a similar uh, experience when I'm in this, like, public dialogue with this other pastor, and this was at Amherst College, another hot-button issue, uh, an issue that's explicit, explicitly dealt with in the Scriptures. And so this person is advocating a view that is absolutely anti-biblical. And the, the, the pastor's argument was, well, God is continuing in a sort of evolutionary way to give new truth, uh, and, that, and the church is like figuring that out as we go. And so, yes, there's things that he's telling us now that contradict the things that he said in the past. I'm like, no, no. No. So, so if you are wondering if we're one of those churches that kind of plays fast and loose with the Bible, no, we're not. We're, we're under the authority of the Bible. I'm under the authority of the Bible. And if I say something that, that's not biblical, then you call me out on it because it's in the Bible. Bring your Bible with you, okay? <laughs> and we'll have some time together talking about the Bible. You know what I'm saying? This is number one how we deal with the diatrephes disease, is that we as a church are saying that we are under the authority of the Bible. And it is a good authority. God is expressing His good and beneficent authority through His Word. Because obviously He's the ultimate authority. But the way He is declaring His rule and His reign is through the Scripture. Which is why I'm up here talking about the Bible. Number two, how do we prevent diatrephes disease? We establish biblically qualified elders. Biblically qualified elders. Titus 1.9. This is just one of the qualifications of an elder. Uh, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So this is, this is one of the qualifications, it's one of the roles of our elder team, is to know their Bible, right? Know the trustworthy word, that's what, what's being said there, know the scripture, and then know sound doctrine. Now what sound doctrine is are biblically faithful summaries of the truths in the scriptures. And those are helpful, because sometimes you, you pull a verse out of context, and you're like, oh, that says this. And you're like, mm, nope, I know sound doctrine. I know biblically helpful summaries that help me understand the whole arc of biblical 
truth. And so elders are aware of both their Bible and also sound doctrine. Now, why is that so important? Well, one, it says they give sound teaching. So one of the roles of the, of the elders is to give sound teaching to the congregation and rebuke those who contradict it. They're dealing with the diatrephes disease. Those who set themselves over and against apostolic truth that's found in Scripture. They know it, and they courageously talk to people and say, hey, you're getting off the mark here. Not in a mean way, not in a, we're going to throw you out kind of way, but because we love you. We're your shepherd, and we want to make sure that you don't have the diatrephes disease, both for you, but also for the sake of the church. Now, Gaius is probably an elder. We don't know that for sure. I think he's definitely a leader in the church. I, I don't think John would appeal to him in a letter. And he seems to have a, a lot of, of power to be able to welcome the, the brothers, the, the evangelists. Uh, he seems to be at least a significant leader in the church. And so John is kind of using this one-two punch, right? On one hand, he's, he's talking to the entire church in another letter that we don't have. And then n- number two, he's saying to Gaius, a, a leader that's in the church. He's saying, I want, want you to be aware of this diatrephes uh, problem. Now, this is partly why we have a plurality of elders. Is, is because you want to have more than one person that is in authority over the church. Because what if one becomes a diatrephes? Then the others in that elder team are then able to, with trustworthy word and sound doctrine, call out that diatrephes. And it protects both the elders, but it protects the church as well. So that leads me to the third way that we prevent. So, so far we've said to prevent, we acknowledge Scripture's authority, we establish biblically qualified elders, and then thirdly, we establish biblically and theologically grounded members of the church. Notice that John is writing, uh, that he has written to the church at large, right? Third John 9, he says, I have written something to the church. So, so he is expecting the church to have an understanding of the trustworthy word and sound doctrine enough to know that they need to call out a diatrephes problem. And why? So they can give sound teaching and sound doctrine to one another as they interact with each other, whether it be in an organic kind of relational setting, uh, where it's not like an official Bible study, or in an official Bible study or small group. And so as a member of a church, it's part of the privilege and the responsibility for you to know your Bible and know sound doctrine so that you can head off the diatrephes problem, both in your own soul, but also in others. That's much better than waiting till the elders have to deal with it. We don't want to do that. We want that cell that's adjacent to another cell to realize, oh my gosh, there's an infection here. And before gangrene sets in, let's have a loving conversation. That's a much healthier church than letting infections go crazy and then the elders have to have an official clamp down, okay? Uh, this could be social media post. You see and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so inappropriate and dishonoring to Christ. Send a direct message in private to that Christian that's your fellow brother or sister in Christ. Don't just look at and turn a blind eye, Right? Or you're having a conversation with, with somebody and they say something that you know is not sound belief or sound practice. Lovingly 
confront them. Speak truth to them. Right? Don't, don't just say, well, I'll let the pastors handle it. <laughs> that's, that's actually not the most healthy way. The most healthy way is when the cell that's adjacent to the cell that's experiencing the, the beginnings of diatrephes disease has a loving conversation. Or in a Bible study. And it may be appropriate to, to kind of call that out in the Bible study. If it seems like, wow, this is so damaging to the people that are in the circle that I need to say something. Or a side comment after the Bible study. It's like, hey, you said this thing. <laughs> That's way off. Right? This, is, this is loving. This is, this is how a healthy body deals with the toxins. Right? And this is what we all need this, right? Because we're all susceptible to setting ourselves up first over and against the scriptures over and over again. If, if we think about this a little more deeply, I think we can realize that we would all be diatrephes except by the grace of God. That, that we would be diseased with false belief and dysfunctional practice and that we would be just inflamed with gangrene, spiritual and otherwise. And that Jesus, who had absolute perfect belief and absolute perfect practice, died <laughs> so that we could be cured. So that disease could be forgiven. We remember that every time we come to this table. Remember on the night in which Jesus is being betrayed. Someone's setting themselves up, not just over and against the apostles, but against the Son of God himself. And what does Jesus do? He takes bread. He breaks it. He gives it to them, saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. He knows that they will not be cured of the diatrephes disease if it, not, if it were not be for the cross. He also takes the cup and he blessed it and after he blessed it, he said to them, this cup is the new covenant. Now he's talking family language. This covenant community that's built out of this gospel, this, this death that he provides for sinners like you and me. So this new covenant where we become family, and not just family, but family on mission. And because he did that, he can then open his arms to all of us diatrephes people and say, you can be healed, you can be forgiven if you will receive the grace that's been given to you at the cross. And he's calling us out when he does that. This is part of the gospel. It's, it's, there's bad news and there's good news. And the bad news is we got gangrene. We are sinners. And, and he calls us out in that. Not because he wants to be mean or he wants us to feel bad, but because he wants us to come to the cure. He wants us to repent. He wants us to come to the Savior. And at this time in history, he's calling out, calling out, calling out, calling out. But there will be a day where he will throw out. There will be a day when there's no more time to come to the remedy 
and there will be an eternal separation from God. That's what he's saying. He's throwing them out. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I, I want to greatly encourage you to come toward Christ, asking forgiveness for your sins and receiving this cure. And it is the only cure for the diatrophies disease. And others of us who we've received that cure to celebrate the fact that we've been given this forgiveness and this, this new life. And then to live that out in practice. So be reminding of, being reminded of the right belief every time we take this. And then we go out and we seek to be right in our practice of this great gospel. So if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm starting to figure this out. I got some questions. We're glad you're here. But we're going to ask you not to take the communion today if you're not, you're not a, a follower of Jesus. But we are going to encourage you to seek someone out and talk more about it. And I'd love to do that. There's others in the room, certainly, that would love to do that. But if you're not ready yet to receive that gospel grace and that remedy, uh, to then continue the conversation after the service. Let's pray. Lord, this, this is a sober, sober passage. And we, we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, you would help us, Lord, to, to confess to you our sins, Lord, to be humble when we are confronted and we are the diatrephes. Lord, that we would have courage to then talk to others who are in need of loving confrontation. And that this, this would cause our body to be healthy, Lord, that we would be centered on the gospel, that our, our family, our community would be gathered around that gospel and we'd be on a gospel mission together. And Lord, we know that this is an ongoing project, that we, we are never not with disease and infection, that we're having to, to deal with, with the gospel grace and gospel truth. So Lord, help us to deal with that in our own souls today as we take this bread and take the cup. But Lord, also help us to deal with that in our own congregation. And we ask that you would bless this time, bless this bread, this cup, and cause this to be a, a means of fellowship, Lord, with you and, and with one another as we enjoy this free gift of grace that's been given to us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.